0: 8603 of Manhattan Homicide to Base, okay? 8603 of the 4th Homicide to Central, okay?
1: 8603.
0: Do you have any message for this unit? Negative.
1: 10
2: 4. The voice of a real life detective. Television detective pointing towards Fourth Homicide Squad Manhattan of the NPD, the New York Police Department. When I was there in late March, the precinct notice boards read 25 homicides to date. A normal, reasonable figure for the time of year. We were set for, as it happened, a routine and dramatic evening. No Kojak, no lollipops, no dark glasses, no sirens. An evening with the Homicide Squad, in particular with Sergeant Noel Biggins, who comes from Tuam in the County Galway. (music) Sergeant Biggins knows New York like the palm of his hand, especially life as it is given and taken in Spanish Harlem.
0: Uh, you've got a high concentration of uh, drugs, drug use and uh, drug users living in that area to a concentration of people living on welfare. Of course, you've got Central
2: Park running down through
0: the middle. Yeah. And you, That is correct. And as you can see right now, there are no uh, pins indicating mm. any homicides. But with the warmer weather, you will find uh, we'll have three or four homicides from that area.
2: What causes that?
0: Well, you get an influx of... Uh, transients uh, people who live rough and who uh, sleep in the park at night and many of these are drug addicts uh, or also concentration of alcoholics come in there because of the comfortable surroundings mm-hmm. and you, you have disputes amongst them and that's where you'll get your homicides.
2: What causes most homicides in, in, in your own experience?
0: Well most, uh, working in the fourth here.
2: Yeah, I was wondering what, what makes people kill?
0: Well, most of our, our homicides in this area evolve around disputes, whether they're between husband and wife or uh, disputes over, we'd say, in, in, uh, drugs or money. Uh, you may uh, there's very few for revenge or you know hard for hired.
2: It's not as dramatic a thing as one thinks, perhaps. No, it's.
0: Uh, I would say not, not definitely not dramatic. Family argument. Mostly, quite a few. Uh, emanate from family arguments. And indeed,
2: Sergeant, looking too over here at your list, for example, of killings, say, mm-hmm. last year and the year before,
0: mm-hmm.
2: the, the word gun, it figures all well, the time. It's
0: the, the weapon of choice. It's uh, predominantly used in our, uh, our our homicides. You'll find that gun and knife are the, the most common weapons. Is,
2: is the gun that easily accessible in New York?
0: Well, and New York has got one of the more uh, stringent uh, gun control laws but the states adjoining New York have got very liberal gun control laws and as a result you just pass over the state lines and purchase it uh, in one of the adjoining states and then again too if you want to buy an illicit gun there are quite a few in the, in the immediate area they're floating around the city What types
2: of gun do they use? Do you have a regular type?
0: Uh, oh, Mostly what we call handguns they go the whole gambit from Saturday night specials which are a very cheap make, uh, type of gun usually a 22 which are uh, uh, more danger to the user than to the person it's being used against. And then you go from s- quite a few sawed-off shotguns, which are... Shotgun is an accessible mm-hmm. uh, weapon in New York, and all you got to do is take it home and saw it down, so you got a concealable weapon there. And then again, you get the very sophisticated uh, Berettas and uh, other revolver-type handguns.
2: Now, you've got uh, several factors there described as
0: physical force. Physical force. That can be any uh, type of... Force it can be uh, result from using a blunt instrument, it could be a leg of a chair, a broom handle, or it could be just strangulation or uh, your own fist, which is uh, good enough to inflict death.
2: Now you also have, have a list there, and there are, I think, is it four names in the same family? Yes. How did that come about?
0: Oh, that uh, in this instance, it was a common law husband uh, had a dispute with his wife or common law wife, and. Uh, um, bludgeoned her to death and her son and uh, she was pregnant at that time and the fetus was at a certain certain stage of development so it's classified as a homicide also it died as a result of the, of the beating What was the end product then at the end of the trial and well, so on? Well, th- this uh, subject has yet to go to trial to the best of my knowledge uh, he was charged with three counts of homicide
2: In general, what happens if they're
0: convicted? Well... Uh, Normally they go away to do considerable stretches of time. Uh, that's, that's all our endeavours are channeled at. Mm. So hopefully they, usually if they uh, plea, or if they uh, found guilty, I would say manslaughter one, it should be 25 years to life. But uh, more often than not they'll get manslaughter two, and which will be uh, 15 years to life. Do you find that people say maybe,
2: who come out on parole it, they can strike again? There's a pattern.
0: Well, that's true. You you find recidivism is very prevalent amongst our uh, criminal population here in New York. Uh, In the homicide area, it's hard to say, though. It's not uncommon that a guy may have no prior record before committing his first homicide. They say your better parole risk are people who have been charged with homicide. But in your other crimes, you will find that, uh, especially in the area of robbery, that uh, you will find that most people have extensive records and for the same thing, robbery. Now, you showed me some horrific pictures there yes. of a girl who died.
2: Yes. Now, what actually happened to her?
0: Well, she was uh, bludgeoned to death, uh, and then later on she was thrown from a height. And the
2: police officers come along on the scene, is that right?
0: Yes, John. It makes me think that a police officer wants a very strong stomach. It, it's an acid at times if you do have a strong stomach, especially if you get the... Uh, arrive on a scene where a body has been in a locked room for a period of time with varying degrees of temperature it's usually, It usually takes only a couple of days and it becomes decomposed and at that time you do it, it is a help if you've got a strong stomach.
2: Now as we're here there's a suspect being questioned in another room and you will show me a bloody footprint. How did you come by that?
0: Well uh, when we arrive on the scene uh, after the The ME has um, pronounced him dead and that the the death is a result of a homicidal act. We bring in our forensic team and they search the area thoroughly for anything of uh, uh, an evidentiary nature. And this bloody footprint was found at the scene and it's got the potential that we may be able to match it up with a suspect later on.
2: And uh, perhaps your suspect here might be the one.
0: That is true as possible.
2: What's the technique now for getting information from him? Question, question, question? That is correct.
0: Uh, you go in and you ask them to account for his time and uh, a series of questions. There's no fixed formula or a pattern. You've got to play it by ear with each individual subject that you bring in. And do you have two officers doing the questioning? Normally you would have two officers in that uh, one officer may be able to develop a tact that the other officer didn't think of or... Of or he uh, decided to leave it up to his partner to follow that.
2: Do you use this old sort of, uh, what would you call uh, mutton-jeff technique, one pleasant office to the other kind of heavy? Yes,
0: that is correct. It's, it's used.
2: And is, is that effective?
0: You'll f- we'll find at times it would give you good results.
2: detective's day de room in the sixth homicide zone is bare, functional. Three desks, three tables, files and in the inevitable. Inevitable for America, that is, coffee. Black, strong and always necessary. There too, sitting quietly, was a large man, his trade quite unmistakable. Detective Officer Jack McCarthy. His family came originally from Ballyday Hobb County, Cork, what he called Denham Mahoney Country but both he and his father before him have graced the ranks of New York's finest.
1: Well, in 1956, I started off as a foot patrolman in Harlem, which was a difficult assignment. I stayed there approximately nine years, and uh, I was a big man, so naturally I got along all right. And the People up there generally don't bother Irish people because they know we like to fight, and that's a good thing on our behalf. Even if you're a calm fellow like myself, it's still... It's a Good thing to have behind you.
2: Did you come across much violence in the streets in Harlem?
1: Well, I've seen quite a bit of violence over my 22-year career, especially in those ghetto areas. There was quite a bit of violence, everyday violence.
2: What type of violence now was the most common?
1: Well, in Black Harlem, you would see more shooting. In Spanish Harlem, you'd see more knife cutting. It seems to be that uh, they do the damage to each other. They very seldom bother a police officer, even though once in a while you do hear a of police officers getting hurt and people getting mugged, but generally they do it to themselves.
2: Were you involved in any kind of incidents during those years in Harlem?
1: Well, I was involved in three uh, race riots. I had a, in the early 60s, there was a general uprising, I guess, all over the world. Students and Black Harlem, they were, people demanded better housing, which they got and There was a lot of rioting, a lot of shooting, a lot of people got shot. I didn't shoot anybody, I was afraid to pull my gun, I thought I'd shoot myself.
2: Difficult time to be a policeman, though, wasn't it?
1: It was, I was, well... Not really, because I was born in New York, and uh, I was born in the streets. I was born in an Irish neighborhood. And uh, Black Harlem was also uh, not an Irish neighborhood. It used to be an Irish neighborhood, and uh, I heard what it was, and uh, the streets were familiar to me. I didn't live too far away from this area myself. I lived in the city at that time. And uh, it was enjoyable to work there, because I used to be at work for five or ten minutes, and back home again to the safety of a nice, quiet Irish neighborhood. And then after Harlem, how did you go? Well, after Harlem, I was assigned to uh, plainclothes that was investigating mafia individuals and suppressing gambling and prostitution and that type of work, surveillance.
2: What areas would that have been?
1: Well, that was in Brooklyn because there's a concentration of mafia figures out there. I was there for a year. And uh, I went to the Bronx then, the Fordham Road area, I was there three and a half years.
2: Now, in working uh, and dealing with the mafia, more difficult than Harlem, I suppose? Uh, it
1: is really because uh, it seems that their group is a tightly knit group. It's hard to get into their areas because they keep their neighbourhood strong. Uh, being an Irish guy in tall, by the way, when I walk in, I'm a sore thumb they know who I am. But the idea is, uh, as long as I know who they are, they can't get away from me.
2: The Mafia is very much a family thing, isn't it?
1: Well, I don't know so much about family. I'm not being raised with those type of people. I know that they are interconnected. That It seems that uh, when one guy goes wrong, he's... Taken care of somehow. You always, they always end up dead. You can observe it on the street. You see one fella who's moving in on someone else's territory or doing something wrong. You're, next thing, he's dead somewhere, blown up in a car or whatever.
2: So that was the the mafia. They were controlling, I presume, prostitution. Were they drugs?
1: Well, they say that. God knows what they control. Well, now they stay out there with their big suits on. They generally. I think generally that uh, they have never got educated to move into uh, the business world, so they just control their own little things—slot machines and uh, bars and grills and anything they can get their hands on. Protection, anything like that, gambling.
2: Was prostitution very rampant where you were?
1: No, that, uh, I worked on the prostitution detail. Uh, We—I can't <laughs> tell you what we used to call it, but uh, we worked in that detail. I worked. I didn't really relish doing that. I didn't like narcotic work either, I did a little bit of that. It seemed to me uh, below my uh, standards. I didn't really relish that type of work at all.
2: So when did you come to homicide then?
1: Well, after uh, playing clothes, I went to uh, the 19th Detective Squad, which is the east side of Manhattan. And that was general detective work. We worked in all cases, from misdemeanor cases to anything, even homicides, robberies, rapes, everything, you name it. Homicide then came in 1971. The The department decided to specialize in homicide because homicide was on the increase in the city. And I was selected as one of the elite members of the police department, you may say, to join the fourth homicide unit. I've been here since.
2: Can you remember the first homicide you came across?
1: Yes, my first homicide uh, was up on 110th Street in Madison Avenue. And uh, there was a person shot in a social club. And uh, I went into the club. And uh, naturally, I'm not a Spanish-speaking person. This is a Spanish area. But uh, no one speaks English, and you speak to these people, and they no comprende. Uh, the thing with those people, you have to go back every day. And every day I did go back there for about six weeks, and finally someone says to me, Awesome McCarthy, the guy you want is Raymond. And I went and I locked up Raymond.
2: How did that break come about? Have you any idea?
1: Well, I guess they figured I'd never go away, so they might as well tell me, because they have their little things doing, too. Who knows what they're doing up there? They hustle, they sell numbers, they take whatever they do, and they... They don't want me hanging around bothering them either, so if I just stood out there long enough, I figured I'd be a, a pain to them, so they finally told me.
2: I suppose initially for anyone, a police officer, too, uh, death under violent circumstances is a very horrifying and frightening thing.
1: Well, uh, generally seeing death, as we do, we see it every day, it's, it's like a doctor would see a, an operation in a hospital uh, We've seen tragic things. I've seen bodies dismembered. I've seen a police officer's body dismembered in seven, eight pieces all over the place. And it's still, it's horrible to see, but uh, it's a thing you face up to. You go in there, you handle it, but you can't take it home with you because if you start taking things like that home with you, it's a, it's a grim you know, way to act with your wife, to look at her and look at your children. You have to be impersonal with the thing, but still you have to have a great concern and moral responsibility.
2: There must be fear too, Jerry, for the officer.
1: Well, on occasions we go out, uh, when we finally get close to a case, on the initial investigation, we generally go to the scene, and every homicide, people must remember, there's a victim and there's a perpetrator. Now, the person who committed that crime left some trace. Being a, a mortal person, an individual, you have to leave a trace of some kind. Either someone saw you or you stepped on something or there's a fiber of hair or there's some trace. You have to investigate every homicide very closely and carefully from the scene out. And you can't disturb that scene until you get a technician in there to go over the scene with a fine-tooth comb, really look at it, and then slowly but surely work yourself out inch by inch from the scene. Sometimes these cases take a long, long time to break, but they go down because everyone leaves a trace.
2: Do you find that people under questioning become violent to talk to you?
1: No, uh, most people under questioning, uh, they tend to, uh, to lie if, uh, if, if they're involved. But uh, we use polygraph. We request people to take a polygraph test. And uh, when they take their polygraph test, we know what we want. Uh, You see, we have certain keys that only the killer knows. In other words, when we release something to the press, we would tell them the body's on the floor, but we would never tell them that there was a knife in the chest or there was a note or there was some sort of like a bizarre blood writing on the wall or something. We would keep these certain facts to ourselves. So when we go down to a polygraph unit, we and only we and the killer know about that. So when we have our polygraph technician asked these key questions, and that needle starts jumping, we know we got the right guy. Does your work sadden you? No, it's a very satisfying job. In fact, I have 22 years in. My wife wants me to retire, and I'd like to retire, but uh, it's so invigorating to come to work. You never know what's going to happen next. Uh, I know right now the city's in a stalemate to give us a raise. It seems that they're broke and they want to break us, and we'll get along somehow.
2: Now I've got the uh, the tape machine resting on the press. Now, Jelly, what do you want to do here? Put gonna my
1: thumb. I'm going to make you feel like some of the people
2: feel that i processed through here. You're putting my thumb on a black surface. That's right, with ink. And I'm going to put you in- right in the ink, as they call it. All right, that's the thumbprint. That's no. you. you. Well, that's see, me. See your name right oh, there? No, they're interesting looking, yeah. This yeah. is the index finger. A sly looking devil you are. Indeed, you press hands right down. Hands of a criminal. My God, yes, yeah. Those tough fingers. There we, are. there we go. There's three. There's three. Do people object, by the way, to this when it's being done? Well,
1: they can't object to it. Or they, by law, to take fingerprints. Sometimes
2: they... There we go. We've got the five, we've got the prints. Oh no, now. that's only five. Oh, We need five oh, more. Oh, I see, you've got five it's more. Not so fast, you We're know. We're going to the left hand now. Oh, is, that, is that ink, this uh, surface? It's it is. in the ink. We're rolling the thumb again. The pressing round. it down. That's right. Index finger again. Press it down again. Are they good prints coming up now, there? legible. They look very legible. They
1: look like you've been printed before.
2: <laughs> <Are you sure laughs> not, not in, in, not in New York <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't know. We better call <laughs> Interpol. Call Interpol, oh, they might have a job on this hands. Alright, we're not finished yet now. now they're the ten anyway. What happens after oh, this? I know, oh. we put them all together. Oh, you're rolling your um you're rubbing across again now. Keep yeah. them out straight out together.
1: There's only the one set. We usually make three sets. This is for New York City. You see in the top. That's the left hand. And then we make a state copy and we make a federal copy for the FBI. This is the thumb. Now the right
2: hand. Right. Thumb first. Thumb again. Right. First Press hand. it right down again. Okay. And then the uh, four fingers together. Push it down again. And I'm completely dossiered now, am I?
1: Right. Now this copy would be a New York City copy. Then we make a state copy and a federal copy. If you're. No.
2: Say record. say for example. Now look. At my fine black. Tom here. What's what nice would you it? see as the principal characteristic there if you were looking for somebody? Or is it, is it well, like this? you
1: start with the arch in the middle. Yeah. And you need at least five or six ridges. Where you have it to read a print, you have a. I see a, an arch, well, a loop. You have what they call a looped arch. Is that right, Sid? It's
0: like yes. a fortune told. That is correct. He's got a, a looped arch there. It's very legible.
2: There are certain characteristics, aren't there? Quite Yes, you've them, got eh? your.
0: You see the little twirl in there? I do, yes, yeah. That's classified as a loop. And then on each one, you've got so many ridges, and they count the ridges.
2: And I've got several ridges. I'm pretty well ridged, in fact.
0: Thank God they're on your fingers, not on your face. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Sergeant, we've seen a case there of um, a person who killed several, I suppose you'd call him a multiple killer. A mass killer. A mass killer. What type of character will do this?
0: Usually they're they're sex deviants and usually uh, mentally disoriented or uh, suffering from some kind of a mental disability. Mm -hmm.
2: I suppose, uh, Gerry, in this city, lots of people living on their own, lonely people, old people who are quite susceptible to this sort of thing
1: well that 's right, since the neighborhood concept of the city is broken down, uh, most people are all uh, trust into these hotels where there 's no one to take care of them and uh, it's it 's really tough on them because uh, God knows the neighbors can 't take care of them they can 't take care of themselves, and those are the people that would be susceptible to uh, any sort of an injury or even getting sick. you know they would fall there dead uh, for days, no one would know they' were gone.
2: I suppose too you could have cases that might seem uh, just death from natural causes and wouldn't, in fact, be that way? Well, generally,
1: when we respond to a scene, we look for uh, any break on a window, any sort of a larceny or any break on the door or anything out of the ordinary. We interview people, is there anything missing here? And uh, sometimes we wait for the medical examiner and we get his report, and uh, he's the person who classifies what a debt is in the city. If he says it's a natural, well, it's natural. If we're suspicious and we think it's something else, We continue our investigation. If we get more evidence, we give it to him. If he wants to change his classification, fine. Most often he doesn't because, after all, he is a
2: doctor and he says we're only detectives and we just do our thing, and he does his thing. What's the approach in general to that sort of killing? Somebody breaks into an old lady? Well,
1: most people that would do a thing like that, uh, like the sergeant said, are sex deviates, and uh, they would pick on an old person because they notice uh, there's no struggle. They may be just looking for a couple of pieces of change, some sort of sex, And uh, they would suffocate the person by threatening them. If they say a word, they're going to kill them. And then they put a pillow over their face. And the people next door, naturally, they're old and sleeping, whatever. They don't hear the noise. The person would put the pillow over their face, hold it there a few minutes, then replace the pillow where it was and sneak out of the apartment. No one knows the better of it.
0: Can you remember your first homicide case? Oh, well, yes, but that's going back years ago when I was a uniformed officer on patrol. That's very... It leaves a sort of an indelible impression on your mind, your first one when you arrive on the scene. Can you
2: tell us about it?
0: Well, uh, it was, I believe, again, a boyfriend-girlfriend dispute where she just stabbed him once with a knife, but that one blow was lethal and the knife was still protruding from his body when he arrived on the scene. Do you find that people perhaps who kill in the heat of passion that they will admit practically straight away... Or not? But, um, it would be very hard to make a, uh, a cut and dried rule on that. As I said, n- nearly each investigation, or each homicide, is sort of unique in itself. Uh, to, in, a, in instances of you know people killed in the course of passion, um, you normally it's not premeditated in that sense, and you, your criminal is not as um, you know does not try to conceal these tracks. So you're, you're, you've got an advantage there. But as to coming to you and blurting out, I killed them," that doesn't happen that all.
2: Also, too, of course, you never, you rarely meet people when they want to welcome you. Isn't that right?
0: Well, yes. Yeah, sad to say, uh, uh, in the case of police officers, they, the most time that they're in your home is under a crisis conditions. And, you know, we see people at their worst, and uh, they, they see us as... Uh, enforcers of the law which is really wrong because we're very human
2: Do you have a rule of thumb at all yourself or is each case so different?
0: Uh, as I, Each case is pretty unique you would, uh, you'd be really going on the limb if you said they were all a uh, carbon copy because uh, um, it depends on the, 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 the deceased depends on where the homicide took place uh, the type of what uh, uh, but what the homicide evolved from, if it was a dispute or if it was a during the course of a commercial robbery or mm. in a fit of uh, a fit of rage, What do you think you learned from death and stress and violence and homicide? It's far too prevalent that uh, that some people take life very cheaply.
2: Do you find that that your own insights into people have changed? Does it make you pessimistic to be dealing with this all the time?
0: Well, to be a police officer, you, you have a uh, degree of cynicism, and you find that um uh, just sort of become reinforced when you're in homicide, or working with homicide.
2: And uh, why did you join the police initially?
0: Well, uh, I thought it would be an interesting job, and it has been to date an interesting job.
2: Now we're talking about death all the evening along here. <laughs> How did the Irish figure say in your homicide files here? Is there a high percentage or low percentage? I
0: can say without fear of contradiction that we don't have any as of now in my file. And hopefully I won't have any. And uh, you find here in New York City that they're one of your most law-abiding segments of your population.
2: What's the most frightening part of your job? I mean, you're called out in a case. Which one would you say to yourself, i better be particularly wary
0: there? Well, when you've got somebody identified and you know he's got a history of violence and you've possibly got him cornered in a room or you're going to... Uh, pick him up at his apartment, you've got to be very careful how he's going to, how he is going to react. And uh, it's very hard to say how he's going to react.
2: What sort of weapons would you use in those circumstances? Well,
0: normally, uh, as I said, if we know enough about the subject that we're going to uh, apprehend or we're going to bring in for questioning, um, if he's got a history, prior history for violence, you would be uh, to your advantage to go out with a bulletproof vest, which we do, we keep, have bulletproof vests. And we have uh, sawed-off shotguns, uh, which in close quarters can be very lethal, and they give you psychological clout at times. How does Kojak seem to you, to ask your light question for a change? Well, Kojak, of uh, of all the uh, TV uh, series, our correction, police officer series on on TV, um, he's more more true to the real police scene than the others. Uh, The others seem a little over glamorized uh, though sad to say uh, we're not as successful as Kojak we <laughs> we do not have a hundred uh, percent clearance uh.
2: and, and I suspect Sergeant, you're hardly paid as much as Kojak
0: definitely not <laughs>
2: And so, on a dark, cold night in March, we leave the comfortable precinct and head out into the dank, glistening, half-empty skyscraper streets of downtown New York.
0: We're going to journey to the East Side, and uh, in route we'll pass through uh, Central Park, which is uh, one of the recreational areas in New York City.
2: And how long, how long would it take, Sergeant, to get through your whole area in the car?
0: Uh, from. River to river would take about a, uh, a mile. Yes, I'm constantly in touch with my command, and also I've got to, uh, can listen to the, uh, type of radio runs that are, uh, being broadcast for our division.
2: Well, you were saying that oftentimes, uh... Friday night can be a busy night.
0: That is true, especially in the warmer months. uh, You get an an inordinate amount of work from, you know, run-of-the-mill family disputes to uh, protesters. The the warm weather does contribute a lot to our work. uh, A cold spell can be a very good ally for the police officer in that it keeps a lot of problems off the street. Uh, As you can hear, we use a lot of uh, code words. I thought they were cold words, I didn't know yes. what they were
2: saying. Uh, now we, we, we're approaching a tunnel here, are we? Yes,
0: this is the transverse road at 79th Street in Central Park. And uh, you just left Central Park West, which is quite a status address, and you're journeying over onto the east side, which is known as the Blue Stock Belt. Uh, some of your wealthy pe- wealthiest people in New York reside in this part of the uh, city.
2: Also, um, earlier in your precinct, we were talking to some of the officers and people talked about um, officers working together. They're invariably in twos, are they?
0: That is correct. You normally work with a partner for, uh, for safety reasons and uh, also uh, to act uh, in some instances as uh, a corroborating witness when you may need somebody to uh, witness you taking a statement or uh, making an apprehension. And can you often, quite often, get
2: a dramatic message on that radio there when you're
0: out? Quite often. I've got one code signal which is a 1013, and it means a assist police officer, or a police officer in distress. And a call like that, you pull out all stops, and if you're within a, you know, uh, several blocks, you will respond irrespective of the boundary lines. The only uh, you could, if you're just on routine patrol. And a, and a signal comes over from the adjoining precinct. It is not your precinct, so you do not respond, unless it's one of an emergency nature, like some, uh, an instant where somebody be in danger, of being seriously hurt, or something of that nature. But when a the a code signal 1013 uh, is broadcast, you stop everything and you respond to that location. Do you have a siren in this car? Yes, there's a siren, and also there's a, uh, a outside broadcasting system can pull motorists over by uh, addressing my commands over the air to them. Oh, well, it can be heard outside? Yes. Well, I'd, I'd better yeah, not, you know, okay. i better not do that. I may cause a little panic here. But uh, this uh, set here, you can normally pull somebody over from, without it lighting from your car.
2: And where are, where are we now here?
0: We're now at uh, 79th Street and Lexington Avenue. Uh, as I said, it's one of the more affluent areas in the city. Uh, further south here, you got Lenox Hill Hospital, which is quite is, a hospital.
2: Is there any particular time of night more dangerous than another in New York?
0: Yes, they, uh, I believe they've pinpointed it to uh, Fridays and Saturdays nights between the hours of 8 p.m. and 2 a.m. in the morning. And if you were to... Uh, to draw up a pattern, you would find that sort of the amount of incidences you have during those hours are very pronounced.
2: I talked earlier too to you about uh, having to carry a weapon. You're supposed to carry it at all times. That is correct.
0: It's, it's mandatory that we uh, uh, carry our sidearms uh, 24 hours a day. That's if you're up and about 24 hours a day. And. Um,
2: Do you do training ever so often, you do? Yes, uh, there again,
0: department regulations mandate that we uh, qualify at least twice a year, and uh, most detectives also got to qualify with the sawed-off shotgun. busy radio isn't it yes this is one, one one command alone It's the two three as i said it's got a uh, heavy population and it's a, a very busy uh, location that's not a police car in front of us there no? that is correct that's poss- that's from the 19th precinct now we're, we're within the confines of the 19th precinct we're in second avenue now are we that's correct Same radio that you're listening to, but as I said, this is the 19th precinct, and where most of the activity at the moment is taking place up in the 23.
2: Okay, that's 314 East 106.
0: Now looking for a parking space. Oh, is that what you're doing?
2: Do you travel at any set speed when you're going around? Uh, On
0: patrol, uh, the uh, the guidebook Uh, or the rules and and procedures that you know uh, outline the regulations, the department. lay down that you should travel at 5 miles per hour which is sometimes is not very practical, in not city very practical. practical. No. You, you may cause a monumental traffic jam or uh, to respond to an emergency at that rate would be very uh, foolish
2: wouldn't make the police any more popular than they are or are not as the case may be that is very true mm. it's a lonely enough job in its way isn't it
0: that is true. You find that most police officers, when they socialise or even leave the, you know, their commands, they, they socialise with other uh, police officers. So you, you find that civilians at time have a hard time relating to you. First and foremost, your crazy hours, and secondly, the type of work you do and the, the, the clientele that you, you normally come in touch with.
2: Don't you find, too, that civilians are a small bit afraid of you?
0: Yes, uh, sad to say, which I I would like it to be the reverse, that they were a little bit more uh, cordial and a little bit uh, more friendly.
2: just heard there earlier on the call about yes. stabbings. Yes, it, it
0: code signal 1034 came over, which uh, uh, means that uh, there is an assault in progress, and uh, it's requesting units to respond to a location on 92nd Street.
2: Police car flashing in front of us now.
0: Uh, well, this unit is not; a, it's a 19th Precinct unit, and the unit they're requesting is a 23rd Precinct unit. And I'll let you know this this, uh, this vehicle is going to another run here.
2: Did you ever have a a, a gun pointed at you with intent
0: to do damage? On several occasions, I have had the misfortune of looking down the barrel of a gun. Is Uh, it possible to say how you would have felt at the time? (laughs) Very scared. (laughs) Uh, Very. your heart starts thumping, and uh, you're just hoping for some kind of a miracle. Unfortunately, in all the instances where I had, uh, up to now, you've obviously not had anything. I've been very lucky. Yeah. What's what's the police drill in that case? In, 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 a, in a situation like uh, somebody pointing a gun at you, yeah. uh, well, it, I would, if if, if the the subject holding the gun on you, on you wants you want something, you give it him. <laughs> if it's if it's like a uh, combat situation you just uh, sh- uh, pull your own revolver if it's, if it's not already unholstered and uh, exchange fire with him if he's firing at you and hope that
2: uh, I noticed tonight in the precinct a great respect for uh, revolvers and weapons
0: oh yes safety with the firearms is emphasized uh, because uh, you know uh, one cares little act and you might uh, do toll damage and uh, weapons or handguns are, are very fickle you've got to tr- you know treat them right. So, uh, the, the regimen in the uh, police department is that uh, you uh, take great caution at all time how you unload and how you load your firearm where you maintain it.
2: You, you keep yours down on your leg. Is that for, is
0: that for ease of getting at? Well, I wear an ankle holster in that... Uh, one, it, it is convenient to get at, and two, it uh, saves wear and tear on your clothing because if you're constantly wearing it in your waistband, you'll find that your waistbands expand and you, the friction on your jacket puts a hole in it.
2: This is why Kojic has so many new waistcoats, I suppose, in see series. <laughs>
0: That's very possible one reason why he's got them. Where are we now at the moment? We're uh, heading towards the uh, 59th Street Bridge. You, Driving the over Cobblestones now. Cobblestones. Yeah. This is where, what the old streets in the city were formerly made up. And You got here the tramway, which is a elevated tramway that which leads over to Roosevelt Island, which is an island on the on the, in the East River. And it's a very new uh, community they've just built over there of luxury housing. Here you've got some of your most uh, expensive housing in New York uh, on Fifty Seventh Street. Here you got the Sovereign, which had, uh, which came in for a lot of notoriety lately. You had a uh, two people killed there by a couple of uh, parolees.
2: Do you think often, by the way, we see the bridge now facing us, that your public and the media are not sufficiently aware of the difficulties facing police officers?
0: At times they're apathetic to the problems of the police officer. And as I said before, the majority of occasions when we meet them are mm. stressful occasions and they have very few occasions to see us under happy circumstances. How
2: is your own public relations in the police department?
0: uh my, mine personally well, are they, 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 are person the uh, in uh, general the uh, department's policy mm. well they strive at it they they're constantly trying to project a, a positive image and uh, as a matter of fact we've got officers assigned full-time to it uh, usually under the title of community affairs officer or community relations officer and uh, they, they run like uh, uh, recre- recreation programs for the children and uh, so forth like that and they they help senior citizens tell them how to protect their property and how to protect themselves from attacks or if they're if they're attacked how to react and uh, we've got two or three new units in the department and one of them is a senior citizen uh, uh, unit and it handles uh, crimes perpetrated against people over 62.
2: Do you have many officers who are killed in the job?
0: Yes, in past years we've had a pretty high mortality rate, but uh, so far to date this year uh, no police officer has been killed and hopefully that will be the statistic for the whole year.
2: Another element strikes me too, surely in a stressful life like yours it must make, for example, a married life a difficulty and lead to problems. Well, uh,
0: married life, you need a very understanding partner when you work in police work, in that your hours are very erratic uh, you may be scheduled to be home at 1 o'clock or uh, 12 o'clock and the case is just breaking and you just got to stay with it. It may uh, uh, two days later that you show up at home and especially in situations where you got a young family, uh, the whole onus is put on the on the, on the wife to uh, bring up their kids and it's tough in that respect. Uh, as a matter of fact, the uh, police officers in the continent of the United States, uh, they got a very high divorce rate and two weeks. Uh, to have, some people resort to alcohol as a uh, as a uh, catharsis or a cure as well. And you
2: certainly certainly plenty of um, plenty of rain tonight lashing here
0: now. Oh, well, hopefully it'll be to the uh, to our advantage in that will keep crime off the streets. We find that weather is a uh, is a great ally for uh, in, in police work. You'll notice in cold spells or when there's a heavy snowfall that your uh, certain type of crimes will uh, be, uh, will be diminished greatly. And there again, too, during the hot summer months, uh, you have a uh, corresponding uh, upsurge in crime. In that, you know, I got a lot of people on the street. There's more contact with each other, a lot of, a lot more drinking, possibly just to quench their, you know, the thirst due to the heat. And as a result, you got many confrontation situations developing that wouldn't normally develop.
2: How often do you have medical examinations in your job?
0: Well, on entering the job, you have a medical examination, and every time you go sick, over, you've got to be. Uh, go to a Police Department Surgeon. You just can't call up and say I'm going sick. you got to be certified by a Police Department Surgeon. And if you suffer any kind of an in injury on or off the, the job that may disable your work, uh, so that you, or so it may limit your uh, capabilities, you've got to undergo a medical.
2: It's a very stressful career, of course.
0: That is that is without saying. It's and very stressful.
2: Where where are we here now?
0: We are now uh, journeying j- towards uh, 23rd Street. Uh, Second Avenue. Over here, to our left, which you can see through the, the breaks in the buildings, you got Bellevue Hospital, which is one of the older uh, hospitals in New York and one of the better, me- uh, better medical schools associated with it. it it's one uh, which has got a, a lot of contacts with police in that most of your emergency situations are rushed to Bellevue. They are very capable and able in, in handling st- stab wounds and gunshot wounds and things like that. Something that the other smaller hospitals are not that familiar with.
2: And so I bade good night and good morning to Detective Sergeant Noel Biggins of Homicide. He returned to sign off, and I returned to my hotel as the rain dripping down the back of my neck was sweet music and the windscreen wipers of an unmarked NPD car, of course. <laughs>